Bible prophecy is often misunderstood and misapplied, which leaves many people confused or fearful. But when the Bible is studied in its proper context, prophecy becomes clear and understandable. There is no one we can trust more than Jesus, and His words will speak specifically to us as we study them in their simplicity. Welcome to Jesus on Prophecy. Have you ever needed just a little extra money? Have you ever wondered about a job that would quickly bring you in the extra cash you needed? Well, an American college student was running short on money to pay for his college entrance fees and books and tuition. And he knew that he would have to look for the best possible paying summer job to be back in college the next year. Randomly searching through the newspaper one day, he saw an advertisement from a company hiring college students to cut lumber deep in the forests of Canada. And this is a very dangerous job because there's a high risk of uh, death because of uh, this occupation. Yet nonetheless, it was the money that he needed for his expenses for college. And this college student was a Christian. And so he had nothing to do during the summer, so he thought, why not? I'll just go ahead and take this job and, and make some money, and it shouldn't hurt. But at first, he was hesitant because he knew that these lumberjacks were a pretty rough bunch. Uh, as a Christian, how could he survive for three months in the summer at a lumber camp with these alcohol-drinking, smoking, cursing men. But he decided to go along with that job anyway because he needed that money. So he applied for that position. All summer, he worked with these non-Christian men cutting trees and hauling lumber. And at the end of the summer, he received quite a sizable paycheck. And when he arrived back at school and shared with his friends his summer activities, one of them asked him, Hey, as a Christian, how did you ever survive with these rough men all summer? No doubt they were drinking and smoking and carousing in town and cursing every day. And the young man responded, It was quite simple. I was determined that they would never find out that I was a Christian. Now, in the last days of Earth's history, neutrality will not do. God is calling every one of us to take a public stand, and we will not be able to sit on the fence. The entire world will, not be, will be called openly, publicly, to declare whose side they're on. And I'd like to, as we go into the truths of God's Word tonight, and the Word of God is what gives us the foundation to stand on. Uh, but I just want to remind you of the theme that we go over each night as we study night after night. The theme is, if it's in the Bible, what? I believe it. If it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. So the book of Revelation reveals a God of incredible love who never forces our allegiance or coerces our will. Throughout the book of Revelation reveals a God who respects our free will. And he invites us to come to him freely. 
He says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. In Revelation is pictured Jesus as the Lamb who dies to gain our ultimate freedom. Jesus is calling out a people to be faithful to Him. He is calling them to lovingly keep His commandments. He invites them to publicly declare their loyalty, to declare their allegiance to Him. So how do we take a stand? Revelation points us in the right direction. We see in Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, uh, it says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. So Jesus is the one who loves us. He is the one who washes us from our what? Our sins with his own blood. And so that leads us to question number one tonight. Does God have a visible symbol that we are washed in the blood of Christ. And we're going to take a look in the Bible today, but we know that the topic for tonight is baptism. Baptism is that symbol, is a symbol of our commitment and loyalty and allegiance to Jesus Christ. And Jesus instructed his disciples with these words found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. And I did not write the page numbers for this presentation, unfortunately, so I apologize. But Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, uh, it's going to be, as I'm looking through here, page 967. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, page 967. And if we could have table number three start us off by reading this text for us, please. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Okay. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, that they think, 19 is, uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. So it's very interesting that at the very beginning of the Gospels, we see baptism being emphasized. At the very end of the Gospels, like for instance in this Gospel of Matthew, we see that baptism is again emphasized as well as Jesus commissions his followers, his disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. So when we are baptized, we declare our allegiance. We take a public stand. We show whose side we're on. Yet many Christians are confused over this basic Bible ordinance. And that leads us to our next question. Question number two. According to the Bible, how many methods of baptism are there? And so maybe you've heard of these other alternative methods of baptism. Uh, some churches, they sprinkle babies. Some churches pour water over the head of a baby or a young child. Uh, one denomination practices olive oil baptism. And I even read of a church that sprinkles rose petals over the heads of their youth, declaring that they are now baptized by those rose petals. 
And one pastor took his youth out to the mountains and called and so-called baptized them by letting them lay in the snow and covering them with it. And when he was questioned about this method, he said, it doesn't make any difference whether the water is liquid or solid. Was this pastor right? Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5 tells us how many methods of baptism does the Bible support? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, page 1126. Page 1126, Ephesians 4, verse 5. Table number 5 will read this for us. And I hope table number 6 will get ready next. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5, page 1126. How many methods of baptism are there according to the Bible? Ephesians 4, verse 5. Are we there? Okay, so how many methods of baptism does the Bible say that there is? Only one, right? And so what is that one biblical method of baptism that the Bible endorses? Well, that leads us to question number three. How was Jesus himself baptized? We want to follow Jesus as our example. And so, the best way to discover the true method of baptism is to discover how Jesus was baptized. And if we are baptized the same way that Jesus was, we certainly can't go wrong, can we? Alright, so let's take a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And table number 6 is up. Table number 6, Mark chapter 1, verse 9. And it's page 968. 968 is Mark 1 verse 9. The rest of us also will turn there and we will see how Jesus was baptized. Mark 1 verse 9, page 968. And uh, verse 17 as well. Okay, I'm sorry, Mark 1 verse 9, was that it? He was baptized by John in the Jordan, right? The next text that I forgot to mention, I'm sorry, was Matthew 3 verse 16 and 17. Let's take a look at that and pay, table 7, we'll read that. Matthew 3 verse 16 and 17. That's page 937, I believe. Page 937. How was Jesus baptized? We know that Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, right? He was baptized of John in the Jordan. And why was the, the, the Jordan River of all places? We see in Matthew 3, verse 16 and 17 exactly why that was the location where Jesus came to be baptized. And let's take a look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All right, so we see that 
Jesus' baptism was what kind of baptism? Was it olive oil baptism? Was it rose petal baptism? Was it sprinkling? What kind of method was it? Immersion. How do you know it was immersion? Because it says that he came up out of the water. Isn't that right? So in order for him to come up out of the water, he must have been what? Under the water. In the water. Fully immersed. Yes? And so we see that Jesus was baptized by full immersion. It's a significant event in his life. It's the time that he was about to begin his earthly ministry. And friends, when you make that decision to be baptized, that too will be a significant event in your life as well. And there's going to be two special things that happen to you as it happened to Jesus at his baptism. And we're going to talk about that as we go to question number four. What are we promised when we make a decision for baptism? And we just read that. Uh, I think Curtis read that for us. It says that first of all, when Jesus was baptized, what descended upon him? It said that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus to give him supernatural, spiritual power to face temptations. And so the Bible promises that when we make that decision to be baptized, as Jesus did, we too will receive that same spiritual power. Wouldn't you like to have that spiritual power in your life? And it came upon Jesus, and you can be sure, friends, that it will come upon you when you make that decision. He received that power at at His baptism as we, by faith, open our hearts to Him, we will receive the Holy Spirit at our baptism. The Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And we, too, will receive the Holy Spirit upon the day that we are baptized. And the Holy Spirit will give us and endow us with a special gift upon us being born again. And that gift is the power to enable us to live that Christian life. And that's a tremendous gift. How can you pass that up when God is offering so much as you start your new walk with Him? The next thing that happens when we're baptized, it says that the Father spoke to Him from heaven, spoke to Jesus. And what did He say? He said, This is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. And you know what, friends? When we make that decision to be baptized, you know, nothing brings a smile to God's face more than any, anything than a person making a decision making a personal, public commitment for baptism. And when they make that public commitment, God is well pleased. He proudly declares, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I am well pleased. And friends, I don't know about you, but I think we should all want to give a a smile on God's face and make Him pleased as we make that decision for baptism. What do you say? Believers down through the centuries have experienced the joy of making a full commitment to Christ through baptism. Sometimes, in some cases, they have been the only members of their family to do so. Sometimes, in certain cases, they have been the only members of their city or village or tribe that did so. God 
always calls us singly and alone to make a commitment. He doesn't want us to make that decision based on looking around and seeing who else is making that decision. Oh, if they're making that decision, maybe I can make it too. No, he's asking you to make that decision irregardless of what is taking place around you. Because he wants you and singly your heart to make that decision. Question number five. What special truths about baptism can we learn from Philip and the Ethiopian? And we see in the book of Acts, there's an account where Philip uh, comes upon this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah, and we see as the Ethiopian is reading the scripture, God miraculously led Philip, led Philip to him. And Philip explained the word of God to this prominent Ethiopian. And he answered his questions, made a strong appeal for this man to fully, completely dedicate his life to Christ. And the Ethiopian responded. Thrilled with his new relationship with Jesus, he longed to be baptized. And his request is found in the book of Acts. Let's turn there. Acts chapter 8, verse 36 through 39. And that is found in page 1060. 1060, Acts 8, verse 36 through 39. Page 1060. And we will now have table number 8. Read that for us as we all turn there together. Acts 8, 36 through 39, 1060. Okay, thank you. So keep your Bibles open to this passage. I'm going to have you note some very important truths about baptism that we can learn from this story. Number one, we see that the Ethiopian, he accepted upon hearing the message of Christ through the study of, the, of this Bible study that Philip gave him, the Ethiopian, as a result of this study, accepted Christ. And number two... Uh, his baptism indicated that he was making a public stand. This Ethiopian was baptized when he openly accepted Christ, and we see that his baptism was a public decision, that he was willing to take a stand. And then number three, the Ethiopian and the Philip, Ethiopian and Philip went into the water, and they went down into the water. And why did they go down into the water? Because we see very clearly that the Ethiopian was fully submerged into the water, fully immersed, and he came up out of the water. And as Philip lowered the Ethiopian gently 
below the crystal clear water as a symbol of Christ's ability to cleanse the entire person from sin. The whole person must be immersed because the whole person has sinned and every part of us must go under the water because every part of us has sinned. We need a lot more than sprinkling. We need to be cleansed totally. We need Bible baptism, which is full immersion. And so we see that the Ethiopian was baptized the same way that Jesus was baptized, fully immersed. And so question number six, what does the word baptism mean? Okay, well, this word baptism, if you get it from the actual Greek word, is the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip, to immerse, to plunge under water. So that does not, just in the name baptism alone, already tells you what is the right method of baptism. It's not, sprinkling is not going to do it. Rose petals are not going to do it. It has to be completely plunged underwater. That's what the word itself means, the Greek word baptizo. And we see that if a Greek woman back in the day desired to completely change the color of a piece of cloth, she would plunge it under the dye. And she had to plunge it completely under the dye. And the Greek word for that action was baptizo. And baptism by immersion was certainly the practice of the ancient churches. And we see that to be the case when we look at archaeology. Archaeology reveals baptismal sites in these churches in the early centuries. And I have some pictures here to show you. Ancient churches revealed the method of baptism that was used early Back then, here's an ancient Christian church site with a baptistry near Ephesus, which is known as modern-day Turkey. The size of the pole-like structure, according to archaeologists and historians, demonstrates the fact that in those days, only adults were baptized by immersion. We see this is an early church, uh, Christian church in Philippi. In the remains of the church, we see an early baptistry where New Testament Christians baptized believers by immersion. The St. John of Lateran is the second largest church in Rome, and it's the most famous church in Rome after St. Peter's Cathedral. And if you go inside, you'll notice that there is a narrow alleyway to the back of the church, and you'll discover something quite remarkable, a beautiful baptistry. And our Roman Catholic friends practiced baptism by immersion as late as the 13th century. And the baptistries in those ancient churches clearly reveal that the church practiced Bible baptism by immersion for hundreds of years. And we see here's a leaning tower of Pisa. You may be familiar with the bell tower, which is world famous because of the angle in which it's leaning. But you may not be familiar with the baptistry behind the tower where our Roman Catholic friends practiced baptism by immersion for centuries. And uh, I've been to Cappadocia, Turkey. This is a very interesting place. Uh, We see one of the most remarkable baptistries in the world is found in Cappadocia, a city of refuge deep within the caves of southeast Turkey where Christians found refuge from their oppressors in the Middle Ages. They fled to this place and carved out places to live in the mountains. Uh, But if you enter through the carved rock of the secret city of refuge and place of worship... Here carved in the rock is a baptistry where these faithful Christians baptized by full immersion. 
Immersion was the practice of the New Testament church. Jesus was baptized by immersion. The disciples baptized believers by immersion. The early church baptized by immersion. And believers through the centuries have followed this biblical practice. So, how did it change? When did sprinkling come around and all this changed? Well, it was not until the Council of Ravenna in A.D. 1311 that sprinkling and pouring were officially accepted as equally valid as immersion of the rite of baptism. So this is the time that this changed. The church introduced sprinkling as a more convenient method of baptism. And many people put off baptism until they're nearly dead. and It was very difficult for them to be immersed. So gradually, after many years, sprinkling was accepted as equally valid as immersion. So during these series, we've seen many practices that have slipped into the Christian church which have no foundation in Scripture. For example, Sunday worship. The concept of the immortal soul and sprinkling have no basis in the Word of God. God is calling us back to the Bible and back to true biblical methods of baptism, or method, singular, of baptism, right? So question number seven, what is the meaning of Bible baptism? And so we see Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. Let's take a look here. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. And that's page 1089. 1089. Romans 6, 3 and 4. And if we have table number 9, ready to read that? That would be wonderful. Romans 6, 3 and 4, page 1089. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized unto Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. All right, so we see that very clearly that baptism represents something even more significant, right? Baptism is significant in itself, but we see that it, it represents something uh, even more, a deeper meaning. What is it? When you go down into that water, it's saying that you're saying, Lord, I accept your death on the cross for me. It's saying, I want my old way of life to be buried, and I want to live a new life in Christ. And that's a very good meaning. Saying goodbye to the old way of life, saying goodbye to the old man, the old you, and being born again in newness of life in Christ Jesus. And question number eight. What does baptism represent? And we see that we've learned in Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, it's dying to the old sinful way of life. Right? Is there something that you did in your past Maybe five years ago, ten years ago, something that haunts you still today, something that troubles your soul today. When you walk into the waters of baptism, you are dying to all those sins in the past. You are dying to that guilt of the past. You're dying to that condemnation of the past. 
Everything in the past will be cleansed when you make that decision for baptism. And we see, number two, baptism buries our sins in the watery grave. Now somebody may say, wait a minute, though. Doesn't God forgive me every time I confess my sin? And the answer is yes, of course he does. But have you remembered every sin you've ever committed in your past life? Can you remember, remember every single sin that you've committed in the past life? There's probably something that you don't remember, right? But nevertheless, you did it. But when you walk into the watery grave of baptism, it is saying, God, I give my whole self to you. All the sins I remember and the ones I don't. That's called sins of commission and the sins of omission, if you want to use theological terms. Those are the ones that you knowingly committed, you remember that you did them, and other ones that you did not know you did, but yet they're sin all the same. And when you make that decision for baptism, God's going to remember every account of sin and guilt all in your life, and He'll make it clean. Isn't that wonderful? A clean slate that He can make possible when you make that decision for baptism. And when I go under the water, everything is cleansed, whether I ever confessed it or I didn't. And I'm going to come up a new man or a new woman in Christ, and I'm going to start a new life and begin life anew with Christ. And so we see baptism also talks about rising up out of the water to walk a new life. You know, it's one thing to have a new car or a new suit or a new dress or a new pair of shoes, but I'm going to tell you something. The most exciting thing that you can ever have is a new life. You can walk forever through the water and the old life will be gone forever. You will have a clean slate before the judgment bar in heaven and you can rise up out of that water to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. And this is the symbol of the resurrection coming up out of that water. The Bible says that Sunday keeping is not the symbol of resurrection. Baptism is. You come up out of the water with the Spirit filling your life to a new life in Christ. You come out, of that, come out of that water smiling, happy and cheerful, rejoicing in Jesus Christ. And we see that baptism doesn't mean that you're perfect. Don't, don't, uh, don't set yourself up thinking that. Baptism means you're committed. Somebody says, should I wait till I'm perfect to get baptized? Maybe I need to get things in order before I make such a decision. Friends, if you do, you'll never move ahead in baptism. Baptism doesn't mean that you're perfect. It simply means that you're committed to Christ for life. And baptism is not the end of the Christian life. It is just the beginning. It is a definite decision to walk through that water. And baptism gives us a new sense of direction. We say, God, I am yours. We also see that baptism gives us a new sense of freedom because now we belong to Jesus. We are Christ's. We see also baptism gives us a new spiritual power in our lives. God endows us with the Holy Spirit. He gives us that power that is going to accompany us in our Christian walk from then that moment on. Question number nine. What happens when we are baptized? 
What happens when we're baptized? Number one, the Bible tells us in Acts 2, verse 38, every sin is forgiven. Let's take a look. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And that's page 1053. 1053, Acts 3, I'm sorry, Acts 2, verse 38. Acts 2, verse 38, page 1053. And we have table number 10 to read it next. What happens when we're baptized? Number one, every sin is forgiven. Let's take a look and confirm that from the Bible. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Okay, someone from table number 10? Okay, so how many people should be baptized? How many should be baptized? Everyone, Everyone, right? Everyone. Now somebody will say, wait a minute. What about the thief on the cross? He was never baptized. Well, friends, let's just kind of think hypothetically here. Where would the thief have gone if he had come off the cross? Where? He would have gone to be baptized, I think, because he accepted Jesus. He would have been baptized, but circumstances did not allow him to be baptized. So the Bible says that baptism is for everyone, not just a select few. At baptism, every sin is forgiven. At baptism, the Holy Spirit empowers us. But let's take a look furthermore. What happens when we're baptized? It says that the Holy Spirit is given to us. We read this, Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Well, actually, verse 9 we read. But verse 10, it says, And immediately coming up from the water, he, speaking of Jesus, saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And then we see that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And why did the Holy Spirit come upon Jesus? For what purpose? To give him power. That's right. To empower him for his ministry. Right? To anoint him for his ministry. And so Lord, we see that the Lord wants to do the same for us. We see in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, Peter tells the people, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying, without fail, when you repent, when you are baptized in the name of Jesus, guaranteed you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wow. That's a great promise. And it says here, furthermore, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Did God call you tonight? Is God calling you to be baptized tonight? Then this promise is for you. It's for everyone who are far off, who will receive that call, who will accept that call, and who will answer that call to be baptized. That promise is for sure and it's good, solid as gold. You could take it to the bank. God is going to bring the Holy Spirit to your life. God's going to bring power to your life. Your life will never be the same, guaranteed, and the Holy Spirit takes a hold of you. 
And we see when God calls you to be baptized, you are cleansed. He promises you the gift of the Spirit to empower your life. And that is the most important thing that we desperately need. We need that empowerment to live that victorious Christian life that God willingly provides for us when and if we respond to that call. And so, as a result, when we are baptized, number three, we are adopted into God's family. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Same page, I think. 1053, Acts 2, 41. Table number 11. We'll have someone read that for us, please. Acts 2, 41. So what did these 3,000 souls do? When they heard the words of Peter, how did they respond? They gladly received his word and they responded by being baptized. And so that is a wonderful response. And when you are baptized, you will gladly receive God's word as they did. Have you been gladly receiving God's word here during Jesus on Prophecy series? Have you been learning new truths? Have you been learning something new at these lectures? You've been learning God's plan for your life. You've been discovering new truths from His Word. It is now time to make a decision. It's not enough just to fill our minds with new truths, as good as that is, but that it, those truths will mean nothing until we actually make a decision based on the truths that God reveals to us from His Word. Amen? And the Spirit of God has been speaking to your heart. It's now time to follow His truth. It's now time to fully commit to His truth. What do you say? Amen? Question number 10. Did people who were baptized also join the church? Now, some people are very skeptical about organized religion. They say, oh, I don't trust that organized religion stuff. I much rather go home and worship God there and turn on the TV with my fa favorite preacher and that's how I do church. But when you're baptized, is joining a church part of that? Well, let's take a look. Did people who are baptized in the New Testament church, what did they do? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're still there, yes? And uh, let's have table number 12. Read that for us. Did people who were baptized also join the church? Acts 2, 42. And verse 47, please. 47. Next verse. Yeah, you read the right one, Beverly. Just read verse 47 after that. Yes, thank you. All right. So we see that after they were baptized, what did they do? 
Did they go and depart, say, okay, it was nice spending time with you, see ya. Is that what they did? No. It says that they continued with steadfastly in what? The apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayer. So in other words, they were integrated into a fellowship of believers, weren't they? And it says that they were, the Lord added to the church daily, such as those who are being saved. And so when you're baptized, friends, truly baptized, you will become part of God's body of believers. His Sabbath-keeping, commandment-keeping, Adventist people, just like it says here, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And friends, do you want a church that's a Bible-believing church? Do you want to be a part of a Bible-believing church? Yes, amen. And you want a church that follows in harmony with the teachings of God's Word, that is a Sabbath-keeping church? And so, when you're baptized, your sins are forgiven. When you're baptized, your life is cleansed. When you are baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized, you become part of a worldwide Sabbath-keeping fellowship all around the world. It is an international community of faith. And God is leading people of all nationalities, languages, religious persuasions to His last day movement today. And He's gathering them into one final worldwide Sabbath-keeping Adventist movement. He's leading men and women today in very unusual ways. And question number 11 says, What steps should a person take before being baptized? Well, the steps are very simple. We see number one, we must repent. What does repent mean? It means having a genuine sorrow for sin. You come to Jesus and you say, Lord, I believe that you alone can forgive me of my sins. I believe that you alone are my Savior. I believe that you alone can give me your power to be a new man or new woman. If you have done this, you have taken the first step on this journey of faith. That first step is repentance. Repentance is being sorry enough for my sins that I'm willing to turn away from them. Repentance means that my attitude toward my sins have changed. And step number two, repentance is a very important step. Now step number two is believe. Believe is an acceptance of Jesus as both Savior and Lord, remember I talked about another night how many people want Jesus as their Savior, but not many people are willing to yield to have them as their Lord. We need to have both. Jesus, yes, He saves us. He saves us from our sins, and He is also to save us not in our sins, but from our sins. Amen. And He is also to be our Lord. We ask, "What is Your will, O Lord?" Right? We want to follow Your will. And so that is what belief is. True belief is an acceptance of Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Right? So, it's, so an example of this is that you may read something from the Bible and you say, wow, that's truth. That's solid gold truth. But belief means you are willing to take that truth and live it out in your life and make it your rule of faith and practice. That's a whole different way of believing, isn't it? It's not just believing your mind, saying, yeah, that's true. But this kind of belief 
is an acceptance of Jesus as both Savior and Lord. Yes, Jesus saved me from my sins. Now, yes, I want to do God's will, whatever that will may be, as outlined in His Word. If His Word says it, I must do it. That's true belief. Any other belief that is not like that is just head knowledge. And head knowledge will not save anyone. It has to be a true acceptance of Jesus, Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Thirdly, we must learn instruction that, are, that is essential to biblical faith. So how are we going to be learning and growing the rest of our lives as Christians? That's going to be a constant thing. We're always going to be learning. We're always going to be growing. The Christian life never is stagnant. It never plateaus to a place where you say, I finally arrived, I got my PhD in my Bible understanding, and so I made it. It never is like that. Even as a pastor, I realize that there's a lot more I still have to learn and a lot more things that I have to understand and by God's grace, He's going to lead us into more and more truth. Amen? And we've got to be willing to continue to strive to go higher, higher than the highest that thought that God has intended for our lives. We must go where He follows. Never settle saying, hey, I made it. I'm parked right here. That's fine. No, we continue to learn. And truth is always progressive. We see, if you understand the basics of biblical faith, the essential truths of His Word, God invites you to make that decision to be baptized. During the series of meetings, you have learned new truths from God's Word, yes? It's now time to commit to follow Jesus all the way in Bible baptism. What if you have been baptized already? Some of you may be thinking, well, I've been baptized already from another church while ago or recently, right? What if you've been baptized already? Well, let's take a look here and let the Bible speak. Is there ever an instance in the Bible when people were re-baptized? Do we see any cases of that? Well, there is. Look at Acts chapter 19, verse 2 through 5. Acts chapter 19, verse 2 through 5. And we're going to look at page 1073. 1073, Acts 19, 2 through 5. And I believe we are back to table number 3. And the Apostle Paul is preaching here in this uh, context of this verse in the upper coasts of Ephesus. And a group of people came to him. And this is the uh, documented encounter with Paul and this group of people. So Acts chapter 19, verse 2 through 5. Now bear in mind the question, is there ever an instance in the Bible when people were rebaptized? This story is going to give us some insight to that question. And so table number 3, is someone ready? And he said to them, uh, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is the Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what? Then were you baptized? And they said to him, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Mm-hmm. All right, thank you. So we see here that Paul encounters a group of believers, yes? And these group of believers, were they baptized? Yes. And Paul asks asks them, by who were you baptized? And they said, by John the Baptist. And, you know, it's interesting that they were baptized by John the Baptist, but they didn't even know what the Holy Spirit was. They didn't know who Jesus Christ was, in a sense, right? Because they were baptized by John. This was probably before Jesus came on the scene, and these people somehow left or something. But they somehow did not get that connection. And so Paul gives them further insight. He gives them more truth and expounds upon the fact that, you know, the Holy Spirit's given, giving the truth of the Holy Spirit that they didn't know about. And Paul rebaptized them by immersion after he instructed them more fully, though they had been baptized by immersion already. So they wanted to walk in all the light of God's word. And there are two reasons to, re- to consider rebaptism, friends. We see an individual may desire to be rebaptized if, number one, they were baptized and departed from Christ, but they now long to return. Now, friends, this doesn't mean you get rebaptized every time you sin, because if that's the case, you're going to get rebaptized all the time. <laughs> okay? But this is talking about if you've turned your back on Christ, if you live for the world and you, and you are t- completely turned against God, and it says here that you come back by the grace of God, baptism by immersion, which is a symbol of death to the old way of life, is a burial of the old way of life and resurrection to the new way of life. If you walk away from the new way of life, if I disavow the things I once believed, and I turn my back on the teachings of the truths and on Christ, and then say I come to a series of meetings like this, God stirs my heart, moves my heart, and I say I want to accept, I want to come back all the way. I've slipped away, I've backslidden, I've drifted away, it's time to get serious about the Lord, come back to Christ and be rebaptized. There may be some of us here that may fit that Category, if, it does, if, it, if you do, and the Holy Spirit's talking to you, I pray that you make that decision to come back to Jesus. Come back and make that decision and recommit yourself to Him in baptism. And we see that the second, in the second case of rebaptism, based on what we learned, is that there are committed Christians who have discovered the truth of God's Word and desire to be part of His commandment-keeping people. These are lovely Christians. They love Jesus so much. They just love Him with all their heart. They come to a meeting like this and are like John's disciples. They had some truth, but they've learned more. And you too may desire to be rebaptized, And it's a choice that you may want to make. If you're, com- if you're a committed Christian, you discover the truth of God's Word in a fuller way, in a way that you didn't know before, prior to your first baptism, and you say, look, I want to have the errors of the past washed away. I want to be part of God's commandment-keeping people. If this is your desire, this is a biblical precedent for being rebaptized. The Bible doesn't seem to say you must do that, but if God stirs you, we would not forbid you. 
And we would say, come into the baptismal pool. God is calling you. If you're like John's disciples and you had part of the truth, but now you see the light of truth and you're moving forward and would like to move further on in that truth. If you're a Christian going into the water, you're not denying your Christian experience. When John's disciples were baptized, they did, they did not deny their previous Christian experience. Praise God for that previous Christian experience. Because God led you to that experience, but He's leading you to another step in your journey. He's leading you further along in your journey of truth and understanding and a fuller revelation of the truth as it is in Jesus. And God is bidding you, come forward, my child, and follow in the path that I am leading you. Are you willing to embrace what I have led you to so far and be baptized in the new truths that I have revealed to you? And when you say, yes, Lord, thank you for showing me this truth, I gladly embrace it and I gladly follow you all the way to where you lead. You never stop at one personal Christian experience and say that that's it when you've discovered more. When you discovered more and the Lord has brought that to your revelation, you must act upon that truth that God revealed to you. You know, if that is your desire to make that decision to follow Christ, I pray you will make that decision. Question number 13. How important is baptism? We see that Nicodemus, a religious, a religious teacher, came to seek Jesus one night, and Jesus said in John chapter 3, verse 5, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's very clear. No way around it. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, we must be born of what? The water and of the Spirit. And we see Mark chapter 16, verse 16. Let's take a look at this verse. Pa table number 5. Mark 16, 16. The last chapter in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, let me see if I can find it in time to give you the page number. Mark 16, 16. It's page... 988, you know, Jesus said a lot of things that are very strong statements. And, you know, that we just looked at the one that he said to Nicodemus. He says, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's a very strong statement, right? He also says another strong statement that is also related to baptism in Mark chapter 16, verse 16. What does he say there? Table number five, take it away. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone? Oh, Mark 16, 16. That's okay. Mark 16, 16. Yes. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. That's right, that's the one. So Jesus says, he who believes and is what? baptized will be saved. Right? So very clearly, is baptism important or not? How important? Very, extremely important, based on what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, he who, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. There's no other way around it. 
If you truly believe, if you believe in Jesus, you should in turn be willing to be baptized, to be saved. That is the only way. And so why would we want to defer this decision for a later time? Why would we want to hold this off and say, oh, well, I'm going to put a hold on that. Not now. You know, friends, that's the, that's the favorite phrase from the devil. Saying, not now. Maybe later. The devil loves it when you bring that up. He says, yeah, yeah, just keep, keep saying that. You've got a lot of things to do. You have your whole life ahead of you. Not now. Maybe later. And they keep saying that. And later will never come someday. We see 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. The present time. Now, while you have the time, while the decision is at your, in your lap, you need to make a decision. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In order for us to get salvation, we must believe and be baptized to be saved. And now is the decision to make that. And now is the time to make that decision, friends. There's no need for us to wait. Now is a day to seal it in your heart. Now is a day to say, Lord, I want my sins forgiven. I want to be cleansed. Now is a day to say, I want to look forward to baptism and have the Holy Spirit fill my life. Now is a time that I want to join men and women around the world that are keeping all ten of God's commandments. Acts chapter 22, verse 16 says, And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And I want us to get that text and underline it in your Bible, highlight it in your Bible. If it's not your Bible, don't do that. <laughs> But I want you to really, if you're contemplating the decision, this is a, God crying out to us. Why are you waiting? What is preventing you? What is holding you back from making this decision? Which is the most important decision that if you don't, do not make this decision, it has implications and ramifications that, that, that affect your eternal destiny doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. doesn't matter if you're man, woman, or child. We all need to make this decision as individuals. But why are you waiting? What is preventing you? What could it possibly be in this world that would prevent you from receiving the greatest gift that God wants to give you. All of heaven is waiting. All of heaven is waiting tonight for you to make that stand for Christ. All of heaven is waiting with anticipation to see, will there be anyone here in this gymnasium that will make that life-changing decision tonight? All of the angels are on the edge of their seats with eager anticipation, wondering who here will make that decision tonight. And will it be you? 
Who will it be? The Holy Spirit is crying out to your hearts. Why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? Make that decision now. Make that decision now. I'm going to ask my brother, JC, to sing a song that has moved my heart when I heard him sing this because the song is talking about what can we give God who gave us everything? What what could God, a God who has everything, possibly want? What can we possibly give a God who has everything? And so I want you to think about the words of this song. And I want you to think about this text. Why are you waiting? What is preventing you from making that decision for Him? Why are you waiting? The greatest thing that God wants from you is your heart. He wants your heart. Because He knows that if He has your heart, He has everything. 
it is your heart that He wants to enter in and transform you and make you His child. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 tells us how Jesus is at the door of our hearts knocking to see if we'll hear His voice. The voice that He's calling us to say, Lord, I respond to Your call. I respond to give my life completely over to You. I do not want anything to hold me back from this call. And Lord, I'm opening that door. I'm letting You into my life. And I expect a new life. A new life that only You can give. Friends, the truths that you've learned up to this point, you know it's from God's Word. You know you're not here by accident. You know that God has brought you here for a purpose. And God is asking you. He's calling you. The Holy Spirit's calling your heart right now. He's saying, will you Will today be the day that you respond to me? Will today be the day that you'll give your life over to me? All of heaven is waiting. It's waiting for your decision tonight. How many of you here would like to say, Lord, as the song says, take me as an offering, as a living sacrifice. All of me, all my heart, I give to you. Is there anyone here that would like to make that decision tonight? Raise your hand nice and high so that all the angels in heaven can see. Say, Lord, I want to make that decision to give my life fully to you. Amen. The next call. God is calling you. He's called you out to these meetings. You've seen that everything that we have studied came straight from the Bible. It's not me speaking. It was the Word of God, was it not? And now the Word of God is now bringing us to this point to make a decision. A decision to be baptized. There are some of you here that are not baptized. And you know that you have put aside that decision for a while. And the Holy Spirit saying, today is the night. Tonight, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. And it's up to you to answer that door and embrace Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry that I have left you for so long, that I have not responded to that call. And now I come running to you. I want to be baptized. I want my life to be completely in your hands. Is there anyone here that would like to make that decision tonight. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. 
all that matters is that heaven is now watching this place right now to see if you'll make that decision for him. Is there anyone here who has the courage enough to answer the door of their heart that Jesus is knocking on and respond to their loving Lord and Savior and say, Lord, I want you as my Savior and Lord. I accept you as the Lord of my life. As scary as it may be, I put my trust in you. How many of you are willing to make that decision here tonight to be baptized? Is there anyone here that would like to make that decision? I know there are some here that have never made that decision. The question is, why are we waiting? Why are we waiting? I'd like to also make another appeal. Some of us have been baptized already. Praise the Lord for that. But you've learned new truths during the nights that we've met. And based on these new truths, you want to say, Lord, I acknowledge that this truth is your truth. It's without a doubt what you have revealed to me. And I didn't know this before. And Lord, I want to submit myself to this new truth. I want to follow this new truth with all my heart. Or maybe there's someone here who has turned away from God and you've backslid. But now you say, Lord, I want to come back to you. I want to re-consecrate myself to you in baptism, re-baptism. Is there anyone here that's willing to make that decision as well? Why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? You know, the story of the leper comes to mind when Jesus was going from place to place healing people. And there's this one particular leper who is desperate to catch Jesus. And Jesus was always traveling and he just, when he heard that Jesus was coming close to his location, he wanted to be free of his leprosy because leprosy was a terrible disease that separated people from their family, from their friends, from society. And worse yet, whoever was a leper, it was as if the finger of God was upon them as they were cursed for life. And we see that this leper was desperate to find Jesus. And when he found Jesus, and he saw that Jesus was within reach, he forgot about saying, unclean, unclean. He didn't care about that because he didn't know if this chance will ever come again. And he made his way through the crowds, and the people were screaming and running away from him, but he was determined. His eyes were fixed on Jesus. He said, if I can make it to Jesus, I just need to make it to him. I may not have a chance like this ever again. And he comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, 
please cleanse me. Cleanse me. Will you make me clean? And Jesus says, of course, I will make you clean. And he healed that leper from his leprosy and the leprosy of sin. Now fast forward to the upper room where the disciples are spending the last night with their Lord. And Jesus is washing every disciple's feet. He comes to Peter and Peter says, Not I, Lord. You will not wash my feet. And Jesus says, If I do not wash your feet, you have no part with me. Oh, friends, when Peter heard that, he says, Lord, then don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. And friends, that's what we need to say. Because we don't know if we're going to be apart from Christ. We don't want to be, no, we don't want to have, be in a place where we have no part with Christ. We must be like Peter and say, Lord, then wash all of me so I can be always yours. How many of you would like to make that decision tonight? To make that decision for baptism, to experience that thorough cleansing of the heart that only Jesus can cleanse. Your good works is not going to do it. Your good way of life, no matter how good you think you are, will not measure up. All we can do is like that leper, helplessly, desperately seek the Savior and say, Lord, please, will you make me clean? There's a card on your table. I'd like you to look at that card. I do not want to close this window of opportunity tonight. I want to stretch out this time as much as I can. Because I am jealous for God's glory tonight. I want God to get the victory tonight, not the enemy. I don't want the enemy to be successful in saying, maybe later, not now. But I want us to make a decision tonight. In your decision card, please write your name. Write your name. And underneath your name is a first decision. Despite the difficulties in my life, I believe in the righteousness of Christ to deliver me and create in me a clean heart. Like that leper, if we understand our condition, there's nothing more we want than the cleansing power of our Savior. If that's what you want tonight, put a check mark there on the first box. Number two, I understand that Bible baptism is by immersion only and is a symbol of surrender to Christ, death to sin, and resurrection to a new life with Him. 
If that's been very clear in our study tonight and you know that the Bible has made that very clear and you agree with it, put a check mark there on number two. Number three. Trusting in His power to save me. I choose tonight to fully commit my life to Him and be baptized. If that's your decision, would you put a check mark there? Number four, I've been baptized before, but I desire to be rebaptized as a recommitment to Him and expression of my restored relationship with Him. If that's your decision, put your check mark on that box. The last box. I have a question about baptism. If you have a question, I'll be happy to answer it. Write it on the back of the card and give it to one of the table leaders on the way out. Friends, I really would like to have you remember this moment. You've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking. And now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. What is holding you back from fully letting go and letting Christ into your heart? Is there anyone else that would like to make that decision for baptism? Savior is waiting. But don't let him wait too long. In the book of Acts, when Paul gave that stirring sermon that, com- that convicted that Roman governor, Felix. Felix was so convicted that he told Paul Leave me now and come at a more convenient time. He said, maybe later. And after, after that, the Bible never mentions him again. Friends, God wants to write your name in the book of life. All you have to do is to make that decision. Is there anyone else that would like to make that decision tonight? 
all of heaven's waiting. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for making the truth known tonight. As you do every night, your word does not come back to you void. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will abide in each and every one of us. We pray that the Holy Spirit will continue to guide us. And Lord, I know there's some who are probably in that place where they're grappling, they're struggling, and I pray that you'll please give them strength to make that decision for you. Lord, because what can we possibly lose by choosing you? We have everything to gain. And Lord, we pray that you'll please may the truth that we've learned night after night burn within our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And may our love for him deepen and strengthen us in our resolve to follow you and to serve you and to surrender fully to you. We thank you for hearing this prayer. Bless us, Lord, as we leave tonight until we meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.